Doug, I don't know how you have a fan up here. I am freezing. No, you don't have to turn it off. I mean, it's not pointed at me, but God, please don't point that fan at me. I am literally freezing. I'm a true, I don't know when it happened. I used to love the cold, but I am definitely a true Floridian because as of late, it hits like 70 and I'm like, ooh, I better get a jacket. It's it's getting a little bit chilly right about now. Um, My mom always says, what is happening to you? Because she's from New York, so she wants me to be just like her all the time and she's it's like a disgrace to her she's like how could you be cold right now why are, why are you acting like them like she still classifies herself as a new yorker so i'm like i was born and raised here and she's like why are you acting like them <laughs> like i think i'm i'm them mom i think i think that's me and i try to tell her like she'll say certain words still and i'm like mom you've been here for 30 plus years like isn't it time to just like be one of us like honestly and she's like no no and I'm like all right I mean you you do whatever but you're the weird one now like we all talk a certain way so I mean you're the weird one I hate to break it to you but she has a lot of pride in being a New Yorker um which is great I'm so happy for her (laughs) um I was going to tell you guys a joke, but I didn't have one, so we're going to move right on, if that sounds good for you guys. I was feeling it last night. I was like, I'm really in the mood to read a funny joke. And I was like, I have nothing. Like, I haven't heard any funny jokes. I don't know. I was just feeling it. But anywho, my title today is Influence and Culture. Influence and Culture, because I think we're all influencing somebody and being influenced by somebody. And we are all part of a culture, whether it's the world's culture or a different type of culture, whatever it might be. I'm going to start off by reading a verse. This is Genesis 12, 1 through 4. And just to give you like a slight backstory of what's going on, um, God had been revealing himself to all the nations. All right, He had been revealing himself to all the nations, and everyone seems to be rejecting God in some shape or form. So he raises up one man to illustrate what he meant for the entire nation. All right, does that make sense? He intended something for everybody, but everyone seemed to reject God. So he raised up one man and goes, you know what, I'll show you what I wanted for all of you. So he's talking to Abram, who is eventually Abraham after he has the breath of God breathe on him. So the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he sent out for Haran. So much to, can you just leave that one up there, Abby? Thank you. There's so much in that verse. Obviously, if we start from the bottom and go back up to the top, 
we just don't hear anything about him until he's 75 years old. So that just kind of shows you whenever the deceiver comes at you saying that you're too old to walk through your calling, that's pretty ridiculous because God seems to like to wait a while sometimes. And you know, isn't it funny? He was 75 years old when God spoke a promise to him, but yet it was a quarter of a century before that promise actually started to manifest, right? He was 75. He wasn't, it wasn't until he was 100 until that promise started to take, take some ground and starting to move. I've noticed God likes to get you to the point where you know you could never do it on your own. You know, like he likes to speak a promise, like I'm going to make you a man that all the nations come from. You're going to be the father of many nations. And he goes, you know what? I better wait until he's 100 and his wife is to the point where, he could, where she can no longer have children, just so everyone knows you kind of have done it on your own. It seems like God really likes to get you to the point where you know for a 100% fact, I could have never have done this on my own. He waited until he was 75 to speak a promise, and then he waited a quarter of a century before that promise actually started to produce some fruit. Blows my mind. It also blows my mind, you know, he's kind of speaking over Abram and prophetically speaking what he would want to have with the entire nation, and it's full of a whole lot of blessing. It's full of a whole lot of blessing, and there's just Biblically speaking, the Bible is just filled with blessings, and I notice a lot of times out of fear of giving someone's hopes up, we like to dial that back down. Like especially from a pastor's perspective, I notice a lot of the time we like to dial back Scripture's blessings because a lot of times people don't feel so blessed. And we're afraid that if we raise their expectations, they're going to be set down. But I wonder where our expectations would be if it was formed around this instead of around this. I wonder what culture is actually influencing your expectations. Is it influenced by the promises that God's speaking into your life, or is it influenced by your past, by the things that have happened to you already, so your expectations are already in a situation and they're not going anywhere? Because Abram, it didn't seem like God was going to produce many nations from him, did it? 75 years old, I can imagine myself at 95, at 99, thinking, I must have heard God wrong. I had to have heard God wrong. I had to have missed my promise. It has been 24 years since God spoke to me. I'm 99 years old. My wife can't have children. What am I supposed to do? And, you know, you kind of see through his story. He gets to the point where he tries to make the promise happen on his own. I wonder how many times we've tried to make a promise happen on our own. We've tried to get it moving a little bit quicker. And back to the top part. I really did work from the bottom to the top. He said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Not to the land I am showing you or I did show you, but to the land I will show you. I realized that Abram had no earthly idea where he was going. He was willing to leave his home. He was willing 
to leave everything he had to go somewhere that he didn't know. And I've noticed a lot of times, especially with me and probably some of you guys will agree, I'll go, okay, God, is this what you want? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I realize God moves a lot of times through a like holy dissatisfaction. Like, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I just know I'm not supposed to be right here. And that seems to be where Abram was. He had no idea where he was supposed to go. He just knew that he wasn't supposed to be right here. I wonder how many times we never actually make it to the land he will show us because we want him to show it to us before we move. He was willing to move and leave everything behind that song that we were singing, God, you're worthy of it all. You're worthy for me to move when I don't see how you're going to bring it together. You're worthy for me to leave my land when I don't even see your land. I wonder, have you ever felt a holy dissatisfaction? Have you ever felt like, I know I'm not supposed to be staying here. I know this isn't where I'm meant to be. I'm just not too sure where I'm supposed to go. And then we spend seasons praying, God, show me my next move. Show me where I'm supposed to be. And God's going, I will show you the land, but right now I showed you that you're not supposed to be where you are. I wonder if we're willing to move to a new land without actually seeing it beforehand. God, am I willing to actually count it all as lost and trust that you'll show me the land? Because he always brings us back to trust. He wants to get us to the place where you couldn't do it on your own. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith not without Bible reading, not without raising your hands, not without giving, which is all super important. But he said it's impossible to please me without faith. So he heads on this journey. He leaves. And as you can tell in the last part of the verse, Lot goes with him, who is his nephew. That's all I have to say about Lot, pretty much. <laughs> I thought maybe I had something to, profound to say, and I was like, nope, that, that's it. He's, he's his nephew. And um, it seems like God is blessing them because back then, you know, they had sheep, they had cattle, and they just grazed on the land, and it was both of their households, and they looked at each other and said, hey, this land cannot hold you and I. <laughs> Like, can you imagine living in Wildwood and me looking at John and going, hey, the whole city of Wildwood can't support the blessings that God is pouring on us. Like, we need to, we need to expand, you know? And he looks at Lot and he said, hey, we need to part our separate ways. And Abram goes, hey, if you want the land to the left, I'll go to the right. If you want the land to the right, I'll go to the left. Whatever you want. And they part directions. And it seems like Abram walks into a place of blessing, not without problems, but he walks into a place of blessing and into God's calling. And it seems as Lot has a struggle of a life. It seems like he goes through some difficulties. In 2 Peter 2.7, it says, talking about Lot, it says, a righteous man who was distressed Another version says, oppressed by the deprived conduct of the lawless, depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by lawless deeds. 
that he saw and heard. I'm going to read that again because I butchered it. Is that okay? And he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. That you want to get printed on a coffee mug. Am I right? <laughs> like, that's good stuff right there. <laughs> All right, the best way to really unpack, unpack this verse is to realize that Lot became a victim of his surroundings. All right, Abraham walked into a place and he influenced the culture around him, but Lot became influenced by the culture. This is that whole subject of are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? The Bible says that Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith, and all of a sudden Peter calls Lot a righteous man as well. So they're both righteous men, all right? But one is a thermometer and one is a thermostat. One goes into a new land and is oppressed by the people around him. Lot goes into a new man, and the deeds and nasty, wicked things that the people are doing around him weighs him down, and he's oppressed by it because all he was doing was reading the culture around him instead of influencing the culture around him. And I wonder how often we do that in our own situations, like, oh man, I got to leave this job. The people around here are just, they're really weighing on my soul. You know, they do things that are so dirty and so wrong and it really weighs on my soul. It's like, well, are you just taking their temperature or are you actually influencing something different? Like, are you influenced by their culture or is their culture being influenced by your culture? I notice a lot of times we go to conferences or camps. If you guys have grown up in church, you've seen this. And people will just turn their life around. Have you guys seen that? Like, they will turn their life around. They come back on fire for God, and it's amazing. Like, I love that. Don't get me wrong. But all of a sudden, they get back in their old life, and it's like one week, and it's like they're back to the person they used to be. And, you know, you can heat up a pot of water until it boils, where it's super hot, it's boiling, but if I take it off and I stick it in the refrigerator, which culture is going to win? All right, eventually that boiling pot of water will turn cold. Does that make sense? All right, we have this fireplace at our house. It's like an electric fireplace, but it puts off heat. It's really cool. And um, we also have an air conditioner. Yeah, you guys have one of those too? Thank God, <laughs> Lord Almighty. So at the same time that I turn on my AC, I can set my AC, AC to 72, which we normally do, I can go over to my electric fireplace and I can turn it up to 80. All of a sudden, there are two cultures going at each other. All right, that is a lot of times how righteous people live. You go into a job, you go into a new social circle or whatever it might be, you're with family, you're with friends, and there are two cultures battling for each other, okay? Does that make sense? Now, either they can continue to battle or I can watch, walk over to my electric heater and pull the plug on it. And a lot of times, we end up pulling the plug 
on our AC instead of someone else's heater. We get to the point where we're like Lot and we're so influenced by the people around us that we end up pulling the plug on us instead of pulling the plug on their culture. I wonder if our culture is influenced by the people around us or if we're influenced by the culture around us. There's conflict in cultures. There's conflict in morals. I've seen it so many times. People get around a certain group of people and like their whole morals change. And it's like, what happened? I thought you were hanging around them so that you could show them the light, not so that they could diminish yours. What are you hooked to? You see, the key is, if I take that boiling pot of water and stick it in the refrigerator, it's no longer connected to the heat. It's no longer connected to the substance. You need to be connected to something. That's like what Caleb was talking about, being able to walk with Jesus. I don't want to sound super like religious by saying this, but you know, a lot of times we spend two minutes with Jesus and the rest of our day in the culture of everyday life, and we expect to be an influence. I'm not saying you have to read your Bible 24 hours a day, but I'm saying what goes on in here? Because, you know, if you change your thoughts, God will change your life. I wonder what culture is going on in here, because whatever culture is going on in here will eventually show up out there. I'm all for devotionals, I'm all for Bible study, I'm all for everything like that. But if it's only a couple minutes a day and then you're thrown back into the world, you're not making an influence, you're being influenced. What are you connected to? Because I realized I can be working or I can be doing, you know, daily tasks, but it's not about what I'm doing, it's about what's going on in here, it's about what I'm thinking. It's about getting to the point where you can walk outside and go, whoa, God, you're so good. (laughs) Getting to the point where you have a pile of laundry and go, wow, God, thank you so much. I have a washer machine that I can wash in. Thank you so much that I have dishes to clean, that I have a family that I can feed. Thank you that I have money to be able to buy food, to be able, thank you for caring for me like that. I wonder what our thoughts are actually on. What type of culture do we have? Are we really influenced by the world? Because a lot of times we're like, oh, no, we're not of the world. It's like, really? Well, how do you think? Do you think like the world? The world sees laundry, and they get stressed, they get anxious, and they get annoyed. The world sees bills, and they wonder, well, how am I supposed to pay this? So are you of the world, or are you not of the world? What type of culture is in your mind, because it's really easy to say, I'm not of the world, but what actually separates you? What is actually different from your culture? Are you influencing or are you being influenced? So he reveals himself to Abram. Like I said, it seems like the world was rejecting God. So he goes, you know what? I'm going to take one man and I'm going to reveal to him what I wanted to do to all the nations. And a little bit later on, God seems to do that same exact thing with the tribes of Israel. If you guys don't know, there were 12 tribes of Israel. And I'm going to read out of Exodus 19. 
So he's, he's now speaking to all the tribes of Israel. And he says, now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure. From among all the people on earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is my message you must give to the people of Israel. So he's speaking to all of Israel, and he goes, hey, I want you to be my priest. I want you to speak to me, I want you to communicate to me, and I want you to reveal to the whole world what you and I have. That's chapter 19, and here we go. You ready for chapter 20? This is 20, verse 19. God shows up with thunder, and he's moving in like physical ways, and the people said to Moses, speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. So (laughs) I can't imagine that, like seeing God move thunder and you look and you go, no, 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 please. (laughs) I don't want to talk to him. You just tell us what he said. And I believe in that moment, they actually chose and birthed in religion. Because how many of you guys know that religion is just stating guidelines and say, tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. I don't want the struggle of relationship. I just want you to tell me what I have to do and I'll do it. Because I realized, especially this week, sometimes there's a struggle in relationship. You know, Moses was the one that had to climb up the mountain to talk to God. Moses was the one that was on his knees praying and weeping to hear God's voice. It says that he talked to God face to face. Moses was the one that experienced the struggle of relationship, and the people said, no, 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 I don't want all that. Can you just tell us what we're supposed to do, and I'll make sure I obey the rules? And law came forth from that. God said, okay, if all you want is laws, I'll give you laws. If that's really all you want from me and you, then I'll give you laws. I wonder what type of culture do we have with God? Are we embracing the struggle of relationship, that struggle where it's like, God, I know you're saying something, but I'm not too sure what it is. But it's still a blessing to be able to communicate with you. I don't want you to just look down and give me rules. I want to be able to have a friendship with you like you talk about. Because I notice myself, a lot of times, I don't like the struggle of relationship. I notice a lot of times I want to be like the people of Israel and say, you know what, just give me rules. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Like, has anyone else felt like that? God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I think in that moment, we're actually embracing religion and not relationship. Because sometimes relationships can be a little bit difficult. But I always want to embrace relationship and not religion. God, I want you to speak to me even when you just give me the first step. Even when you just tell me to leave my land. How many of you guys know that's a struggle of relationship? He said, leave your land. Well, where am I supposed to go, God? Where am I supposed to go? I don't know. It's a struggle of relationship. You want to follow God? 
You want him to speak to you face to face like he did to Abraham? You want to be the father to many nations? You want to have your word, your name recorded in history? God moved through Abraham, but he also had a struggle of relationship. You can definitely opt for the law and say, you know what, these are my rules. I'm going to stay inside this box. But is the power of God really manifesting through you? Are you really bringing heaven to earth? So in that, after that verse, God eventually raises up the tribe of Levi. And just like he used Abram to illustrate to the people what he wanted for the entire nation, he eventually takes one tribe and said, you know what, if all 12 aren't going to listen, I'm going to pick one tribe and raise up a culture so that everyone else can look at this one tribe for what I intended for all of them. I know I just included a whole lot in a little piece, but we're going to move on. I'm not going to stay on that for too long. Um, this is First Peter 2.9. So we just exited out of the Old Testament. Now we're back in the New Testament, okay? So here we are. We went through this time where he chose Abram to illustrate to the people what he intended for everybody. Then he spoke to the nations again and said, I want you all to be priests, but they all reject him and say, no, 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 we just want laws. And he goes, well, fine, then I'll pick Levi. I'll pick the tribe of Levi, and I will raise them up to be the priests that I intended all of you to be. And he goes, through them, I will illustrate what I wanted all of you to be. And this is First Peter 2.9. And he's now he's speaking to Christians, to believers. He's speaking to you and I. And he says, but you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So he's speaking to you and I now I don't know if you realize what happened, but it seems like since the beginning of time, God has been wanting to pour out his love and his affection on all people. But because they rejected, he would then choose one. And he'd go, you know what? If I can't get everyone to see me, I'm going to get one person to see me who can then illustrate me to the rest of the world. He did it with Abraham. He did it with the tribe of Levi. And then God did it with Hosea. And then God did it with Jesus. And then he seems to go, you know what? I'm going to do it one more time. I'm going to do it with you. And he goes, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Being a priest isn't just wearing funny clothes and sacrificing things. <laughs> I was like a Disney ride or something. I don't know. <laughs> Holy Spirit. <laughs> Death to that moth in Jesus' name. <laughs> All right, God, help me get back to where I was. <laughs> anyway, um, being a priest isn't just wearing funny clothes or making sacrifices. You've, if you want to be a priest, how many of you guys know that they were made to go into the presence of God? They were made to go into the presence of God, speak to God, and then speak to the people. And now he looks at you and I and he goes, hey, you are the royal priesthood now. 
I have created you so that you can walk into my presence because of the sacrifice of my son. You can now walk into my presence. And after you do that, I want you to turn around and go shape the culture. I'm going to speak to you and you go speak to the people. That was the final commandment, the great call, go and make disciples of all nations. I fear that a lot of the time we're being discipled by the nations instead of us discipling the nations. I fear that we're being influenced by the culture instead of us influencing the culture. We're not meant to just be these little Christians that goes, oh, the world is so bad. I'm so oppressed by the world. No, I don't think it's meant to be like that. Jesus said, go and change the culture. Don't let the culture change you. Go change the culture. You're a royal priest. You're supposed to be walking in royalty. You're supposed to be walking in authority. And sometimes the greatest lie of the enemy is gets you to believe that you're nothing, so that way you'll stay doing nothing. And God goes, no, no, you're more than something. You're a priest. You're a son, and I've called you for more. I've called you to shake culture, to shape culture, and to influence it. I wonder whenever we go into new lands, when we go into our jobs, when we get around family that we haven't seen in a while, when we get around cousins and brothers and sisters, I wonder, are we shaped by their culture or are we shaping theirs? Are our morals shaped by their morals or are we actually being light in the darkness? Are we bringing heaven to earth? Guys, that's such a big call, and I don't see a whole lot of it. I could be wrong. It could just be me, at least around me. I don't see a lot of heaven coming to earth, and I fear it's because the priests don't know that they're worth anything. You were meant to speak to God, and you were meant to go shape the nations and make disciples. Are we shaping culture? Is culture shaping us? Why don't you guys stand and I'll pray for us real quick. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says that God is looking for worshipers. I don't know the verse. I don't plan on saying that, but... The Bible says that we, that God is looking for worshipers, but how many of you guys know that he doesn't say he's looking for worship? Because God isn't this needy God that needs you to worship him. All right, but he knows that what you worship, you will eventually become. He knows the thing that you worship, you will eventually become. And because he's so good and because he wants to bless you so much, he realizes that if you worship him, you'll eventually become like him. You will always become like the thing that is around you. And I don't know about you, but I really want to be like the Father. I really want to be shaped from his culture and not from the culture around me. 
So God, will you just reveal your goodness this week? Will you show us how this is a Monday through Saturday kind of thing? Will you show us that living in royalty, being a priest, being a son and a daughter isn't just a Sunday thing, it's a Monday through Sunday type of thing, Father? Will you give us the courage and the faith to leave our land when we don't know which land we're going to go to next? Will you give us the courage and faith to take the next step, Father? And thank you for always catching my feet every time, Father. Thank you that every time I stepped out in faith, you reached out your hand and grabbed me. Every time I had doubt, you were always there to comfort me, Father. Father.